Hey, Willingdon Church family and all who are, are joining us. I hope you've grabbed your favorite beverage and favorite mug. I've got my Brazil mug with me today for obvious reasons. It's a country I love. Last Sunday, the largest single show broadcast in Canadian history, Stronger Together, was aired. It was a TV special packed with Canadian names from across the worlds of music, sports, science, activism, TV, and cinema. They showed up in support of Food Banks Canada, which is running a $150 million coronavirus campaign seeking to provide support to food banks across Canada during the COVID-19 pandemic. Stronger Together was also a national salute to frontline workers combating the virus. The broadcast saw more than two dozen TV, radio, and streaming platforms donate their airtime for 90-plus minute commercial-free presentation. The show represented an unprecedented collaboration between Insight Productions, Bell Media Studios, and CBC Radio Canada. It's amazing what a crisis will inspire people to do together. In recent months, provincial and federal governments and health officers across the country have worked together to defeat a common enemy, the COVID-19 virus. For citizens of Canada, the battle to fight the virus has demanded trust in our medical and government authorities. Staying in this battle as the weeks pass by will demand even more trust in our medical officers and government officials. Ultimately, our trust is in God. So as a church family... What do we do to be stronger together in this season? Another reality for many over the past seven weeks has been the new normal for parents with children. Many parents work from home. They also have to homeschool their children and keep up with regular household responsibilities. The constant interactions and multitasking can be very stressful and demanding. Does God have any counsel for our families? Today's text is very insightful. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul, he transitions from personal matters in this text to encouragement for the church in Philippi. He introduces this section with only, or whatever happens, no matter what. What really matters is this. Chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God." For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The first phrase there, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, can also be translated, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Later in chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes, Our citizenship is in heaven. 
Verses 27 to 30 are one long sentence in Greek with only one main verb, behave as citizens. What does behaving like a citizen of heaven look like? We need to remember that Philippi prided itself on being a Roman colony. Abiding by the social and religious norms of this mini Rome was really important. If you did not observe the norms, you were shamed. You were just not a good citizen. We can at least imagine what it might have been like for them. In order to contain the COVID-19 virus, we've been ordered to maintain social distancing, isolate ourselves if we have traveled or, or feel sick, and we do not open our businesses. When in public, I, I feel self-conscious if I have a scratch in my throat and I cough. What about all those water droplets? How long are they going to float around in this elevator? We have been sensitized to, sensitized to acceptable social behavior. In Philippi, to be a good citizen meant to abide by certain social and religious norms in order to keep the society just functioning well. The non-traditional notions of the early Christians about a, a crucified Lord and their just refusal to worship Caesar, they were understood to threaten the social order. They believed they could even draw the wrath of the gods. The disciples of Jesus were often shamed and, and marginalized, even excluded from the trade guilds. Their faith in Jesus had very real psychological, social, economic consequences. They had to wrestle with the, the temptation to, to carefully privatize their faith to avoid exclusion and to become so politically correct that their witness would be muted. So Paul, he reminds the Philippians that their primary allegiance is to Jesus. They look to Jesus, their Lord, not Caesar, for their model of behavior. Their citizenship is in heaven. Their new society, as it were, is the church family. The church is to live according to the character of Jesus, the message of Jesus. How will they do this? Well, Paul uses three metaphors. The first word picture is in verse 27. Standing firm in one spirit. The word stand firm is used to describe the determination and unflinching courage of soldiers who stand their ground together without giving an inch in the face of opposition. The second word picture is with one mind striving side by side. The picture is of athletes working together as a team. They're contending, contending together for the same thing. When I picture team, I think of the Jamaican 4x100 relay team at the 2012 London Olympics, made up of Nesta Carter, Michael Frater, Johan Blake, and Usain Bolt. Together, they smashed the world record in 36.84 seconds. A wonderful picture of four individuals running side by side with one goal in mind. The third word picture is not frightened in anything by your opponents. The picture is of a timid horse that is easily startled. Have you ever been on a horse that has been spooked by something? It, in an instant, it feels like everything is out of control. The Philippians' struggle parallels the suffering of Paul that he had in Philippi and, and now has in Rome. 
That is opposition from a hostile society. Their opponents believe that the persecution and suffering inflicted on the Christians will actually lead to their destruction. But Paul says, should the disciples of Jesus remain united, something extraordinary will happen. If they maintain courage in the face of opposition, the strength God provides them to persevere will assure the Philippian disciples that God is truly with them and will reveal to their opponents the reality of God in their lives. They have no reason to be intimidated. After all, if God is for them, who can stand against them? As Paul writes in Romans 8. The Philippian church stood as a tiny island of commitment to the gospel amid a raging sea of pagan antagonism. Division in their ranks would undermine the truthfulness of the gospel. But a united testimony, undeterred by opposition, would be a powerful witness to the person and message of Jesus. Paul says to us, no matter what, remain tenaciously committed to your common purpose. This is precisely what Jesus prayed for the Philippians and for us when he prayed to the Father in John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The world takes note of Jesus when we walk as one. Paul not only encourages the Philippian disciples to strive together as one family, but also goes so far as to write that the suffering of the Philippian church is a gift. Chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. To paraphrase Paul, The conflicts you are experiencing may appear frightening and may even threaten to discourage you. Perhaps you're tempted to interpret this suffering as a a really bad sign that God is displeased with you. But that's exactly the wrong way to think. You must interpret what is happening as evidence of God's favor on you. In his goodness, God is sovereignly accomplishing his purposes. Don't just endure suffering as if it were inevitable. Embrace suffering as a gift. This is a hard one for us in North America. For me, where we associate the good, successful, forward-moving life with God's favor. During the COVID-19 crisis, we're not necessarily suffering for our faith, as Paul and the Philippians were, but our lives have been disrupted significantly. Can we see aspects of this COVID-19 crisis as a gift? This crisis has provided our church family with an opportunity to work together in unprecedented ways. This feels a bit messy, unsettled. But the fact that we are vulnerable individually and collectively, it forces us to work together and depend more on God. We're on a steep learning curve together. In this season, it's okay to not have all the answers. 
This situation encourages us to share innovative ideas and solutions to the challenges we face. All of these are gifts. One of the great opportunities we have in this crisis is to build a more cohesive leadership team. Our staff teams are working as virtual teams. And this, of course, demands higher levels of trust, extending more grace to each other, being even more committed to our common goals, remaining accountable to one another, and clarifying what we're truly working toward. This past Wednesday, our staff team celebrated what God has done over the past seven weeks. We actually presented six pages of bullet points to the elders. Our attempt to provide an overview to the elders of what God had accomplished through our staff and hundreds of volunteers over the last seven weeks. It's truly astounding. I don't know if we have ever been so collaborative, focused, and effective I believe we will emerge from this pandemic stronger and more united as a staff team. To accomplish this, we must remain committed to unity. We're motivated by our common relationship with Jesus and our shared desire to carry on his ministry, to see his gospel advance in this season. Paul would say, no matter what, Embrace suffering as a gift for your growth and the furtherance of God's purposes. During this current disruption, we are called to live as citizens of heaven, to stand together like soldiers in battle, to work together like a relay team focused on the prize, to resist our external enemies with confidence because God is with us and for us and to bring glory to Jesus and further his kingdom. Chapter 2, verse 1, we read, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, so. The word so connects verses 1 through 4 with the previous paragraph, verses 27 to 30. Paul, he resumes the conversation by laying the foundation for the oneness of purpose shared by the Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verses 1 through 4 are one long sentence in Greek with one main clause. Make my joy complete. But the focus is not on Paul's personal joy. Rather, the primary concern is for unity. The first four clauses begin with if. Paul just stacks up these clauses for emphasis they reveal that some things are obviously true for the Philippians because they belong to Jesus and he can be trusted. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort in his love, and so on. Paul is saying, no matter what, remain grounded in your relationship with Jesus by the Spirit. The four clauses in verse 1 provide the foundation for the appeal to live in unity in verses 2 through 4. 
So Paul's argument, it goes something like this. Since there is real encouragement from being united with Jesus, then have the same mind. Being of the same mind does not mean that everyone holds exactly the same opinion. Rather, disciples of Jesus have a common desire to think like Jesus as they study his word more deeply. Do we think that the Greeks, Romans, and Jews, the wealthy traders, jailers, and slaves of the Philippian church all had the same perspective, the same opinion? Being of the same mind refers to an inward disposition we have to walk together in love for the advancement of the gospel. We have a shared commitment to see Jesus made famous. Our oneness in Jesus is the foundation for our oneness as a church family. Paul goes on, since you are continually comforted by Jesus' love, then have the same love and care for one another. Have the same self-sacrificing love for one another that Jesus had for you. John writes in 1 John 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This kind of love glues the church together. Paul goes on, since there is fellowship in the spirit, then be one in spirit and purpose. Your unity, it's sourced in your relationship with Jesus by the spirit. This is precisely what Jesus prayed for you, Philippians. And Jesus prayed this for us as well in John 17. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Their commitment to walk together was to come out of a trust relationship with Jesus by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within each follower of Jesus making every effort to maintain this gift of oneness in the spirit is essential to our witness for Jesus. Paul goes on, since there is tenderness and compassion in Jesus, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. A selfish, proud person has no intent to serve another. Their only desire is to advance their own personal agenda, seek their own advantage, Defend their own rights or opinions. The true obstacle to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion among you, Paul says, but self-centeredness. Selfishness and pride destroy the unity of the family, whether it be your immediate family or church family. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. (laughs) That's what Paul says. Humility is a virtue inspired by the example of Jesus. Humility, it's it's the opposite of selfishness and pride. Humility, it works for the good of others, even at personal expense, because others are considered to be more important. So this gets very practical for me. When I work with our leadership team at Willingdon, do I consider the other members of our staff team more important than myself? Do I view my wife as more important than me, or am I only thinking about what she can do for me? Are my children more important than me, or is it 
all about me. Paul ends this section with these words. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We naturally look out for our own interests. We are to take that concern for ourselves, that self-love, and apply it to the interests of others. This radical love was present in Jesus, who poured himself out for the good of others. Jesus said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be the slave of all. That's in Mark 10. Some years ago, while Judy and I were working in Brazil, we returned to Canada for six months to visit supporting churches. Because our children, they were 12, 10, and 8 at the time, because they were in the Brazilian school system, we had to homeschool uh, them for a period. At the same time, we had to travel throughout BC, speak in churches, meet with church leaders, connect with family and friends in Canada while trying to stay connected to the church in Brazil. We were multitasking. The routine had changed. Our roles had changed. We were in a different culture, a different home. Needless to say, we found it stressful on our marriage and on our parenting. We were all adjusting. How would we continue living and working together in harmony when so much had changed and there were so many demands? We had to revisit what united us. Were we united in Jesus by his spirit? Were we encouraged by him, loved by him, and strengthened by him? Did we have a common purpose as a family? One thing I did was read Stephen Covey's book, The The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. I just knew we needed to make some adjustments, change some things, grow together. One habit of an effective family is to have a common mission statement. And I thought, yes, this is what we need. And my kids just looked at me and said, can't you just be normal, Dad? A family mission statement? We did not live that season perfectly by any means. Some days were really hard. And here's the good news. Our daughter survived. We pushed through. And in the vulnerability of that season, we grew closer to Jesus and to one another. Ten years later, Two of my daughters were studying and working in Montreal. As I entered their apartment, I noticed on the wall, in the entryway, a mission statement. It stated they were on mission together to serve Jesus in Montreal. Something had stuck. (laughs) So parents, there's hope. What do we need to remember about our relationship with Jesus today? in order to maintain unity in our relationships? How do we demonstrate appreciation and respect for those who think differently? What steps do we need to take to live in harmony with those around us? What do we need to work through as families? What unhealthy attitudes is the Holy Spirit surfacing that we need to acknowledge, confess, and change? Paul would say to us, no matter what, remain tenaciously committed to one another in love. 
Paul's appeal to harmony is based on the real encouragement of being united in Jesus. The experience of his love, communion with the Spirit of God, and the tenderness and compassion we have experienced in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. On this foundation in Jesus, Paul urges us to be of one mind, one affection, one purpose, renouncing any kind of selfish ambition, pride, or partisanship. Empowered by the Spirit, we are to consider others as better than ourselves and prioritize their interests. In our biological families and church family, when we're marked by these attitudes, the gospel thrives. Disciples of Jesus are strengthened. Wounds are healed. And the witness to Jesus is powerful. We are so much stronger together. May God help us.